Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Pragmatist podcast. Um, another edition coming out for you today. Uh, we talk. We talk with Patrick, aka Dynamo DeFi. Um, he's a YouTuber, Twitter personality, uh, builder, and advisor as well, um, and a farmer, a real life farmer. So, uh, an interesting conversation with Patrick. We chat a little bit about building a brand in crypto. We chat about the YouTube game within crypto. Um, and I think there should be more YouTubers in crypto um, because the existing generation is not great. Um, so it would be a lot cool to see more YouTubers like Patrick. I think there's a huge opportunity right now to put, put cool content out. Um, so shout out to people like Patrick and uh, Taiki Meta. Um, there's a few other ones out there that I'm really into and produce really crypto cool crypto-native content. Um, anyways... Yeah, without much further ado, uh, we'll get right into it. Um, Patrick's a great guy. Uh, check him out on Twitter, check him out on YouTube, and um, uh, I'll be interested to see uh, what he gets up to in the next kind of uh, period of um, crypto social media growth because um, I, I imagine his channel will grow quite a bit. Um, excellent. Uh, but first, uh, a word from our sponsor. You're good to go to introduce yourself. Cool. Awesome. Uh, first off, thanks for having me on the podcast. To introduce myself, my name is Patrick, and I have the Dynamo DeFi YouTube channel and newsletter. Um, a lot of people just know me as Dynamo DeFi because of that. But uh, yeah, so to introduce myself, I've been in crypto personally since 2017. Um, like a lot of people, I got into it just from a coworker shilling me on something. I think it was Litecoin at the time and uh, got completely wrecked in 2018. Uh, you know, lost, lost everything I put in. Um, but, it, but it got, it piqued my interest, right? Um, just to see how quickly the values could fluctuate. Uh, but I ended up getting bored and kind of exiting the industry and then, um, and then reentering in 2020. And to fast forward through a few different things, basically, uh, early 2021, uh, got hit more heavily into DeFi and then mid 2021, um, got wrecked once again with the market crashing. Um, didn't have the, let's say I didn't have the money to put by the dip that I wanted to. Uh, mm -hmm. so I was looking for other ways to, to take advantage of the fact that the market had crashed in, in this industry that I had since decided that I actually had done research on the technology, uh, had, had learned learned a lot about how it works and, and decided that I believe very strongly in the long-term possibilities of it. And so uh, simultaneously to this, my uh, I was trying to get my dad to farm on Avalanche because he had some AVAX that he had bought. And I was like trying to explain to him, because at the time you couldn't withdraw directly to the AVEX C chain, which is what most people have used. You had to withdraw to the AVEX X chain, which is a different subnet and do this right. crazy cross chain bridging stuff in the Avalanche wallet. Uh, and I couldn't find any videos to send him. So I was like, okay, I'll just make a quick video because probably other people are having the same problems. And at the time I had like five or 10 Twitter followers. That's like mm -hmm. not, not in hundreds, literally. I think I had, I had single digit Twitter followers cause I just <laughs> used it basically to follow and reply guy. Um, Right. So I just made this video and then 
uh, check back a few weeks later and, oh, and I, I made up the name Dynamo DeFi because I just went through, I, I went through a Scrabble dictionary and looked at words that started with D to go with DeFi and Dynamo sounded oh, for cool. The, like, alliteration. So it wasn't anything yeah. deep. Yeah. It just, it, it sounded cool. And I saw that it, the definition had something to do with power. So I was like, okay, that sounds, sounds sick. Um, Dynamo DeFi it is. Uh, and so I just recorded a quick video and then a couple of weeks later, checked back in and saw it had a few hundred views. And I was like, dang, I, you know, to me at the time, that was a lot, a lot of people had seen the video. So I started recording more videos and lo and behold, um, you know, I know I'm kind of going on here. I'm going on, but also this is the abridged story. Um, channel ended up blowing up to having tens of thousands of subscribers and, you know, even a larger Twitter presence kind of, kind of crazy mm -hmm. how that happens in life. Right. So that's something I wanted to ask you about. <clears throat> Obviously, there's a bunch of platforms that people talk about crypto on. Each kind of seems to have their own personality. Reddit. I got the first like thousand subscribers for my newsletter personally from Reddit. Um, oh, interesting. But, uh, uh, YouTube, you know, has this like specific reputation. Twitter has this kind of like degen anime PFP, you know, uh, concept on there um what you know you seem to kind of bridge a couple of these platforms specifically you have a following on twitter you have a following on youtube mm -hmm. uh why did you choose to go youtube centric i guess it seems like it or why did you choose to focus on youtube and then what is yeah. like the value of twitter for you yeah totally so initially i focused on youtube well actually so that's, that's an interesting question so um a couple of reasons the first part is I'd been a long time lurker on Twitter and not just crypto Twitter, you know, all kinds of different sections of Twitter, you know, since I don't know when 2018, 2017, maybe earlier. Um, mm -hmm. But the one thing I noticed was that there were a lot of people on Twitter and especially in crypto Twitter who were kind of, you know, oh, you, you can never show your face, make sure you keep your identity completely hidden. And right. my thought was, well, you know, um, you know, I just lost a bunch of money in the market, I was like, I don't really have anything to lose. I don't have anything for people to steal. This was, you know, I guess <laughs> things change over time, but I was like, I don't really have anything for people to steal. Uh, but, uh, so maybe I'll have an advantage if I'm willing to show my face. Cause I think most people would trust someone more if they're right. actually willing to have their real voice and face. I mean, sometimes they're getting better with some of the new AI stuff, but you see channels that people, you know, I see people from Twitter, for example, they, launch a channel and it's got some clearly computer generated voice doing the audio. And it's like, mm -hmm. like just, you know, unless it's, you have a really good AI, most of the time it's like, just, just don't even bother. Um, because most of the time I think people, they want to, especially in an industry where they already don't really trust it. They want someone who seems at least a little bit relatable or someone they can trust. Right. Um, so that was part of the reason why, why I wanted to go on YouTube. Second, I mean, if you're doing educational videos, yes, you can do threads and stuff, but, but, um, the difference between Twitter and YouTube is I always say YouTube is not really a social media. It's a content management system. So mm -hmm. it's much more akin to a blog in my view where you can, you can right. write a blog post that then will show up in search results and people can reference and it'll be useful for months or years later. Very few people are going back to reference a tweet or thread from years ago, right? I guess it mm -hmm. happens occasionally, but there's not, you know, it's not really even a, good system for search engine optimization. Uh, that's not how you grow, right? On YouTube, you don't grow by um, shares. You grow by YouTube recommending 
your videos to people uh, or showing right. up in search results. Um, there's not even a functionality to DM on YouTube. It just it doesn't have a lot of the things that we would consider to be be important uh, facets of of social media. And on the one hand, that's a disadvantage because it's tougher to have things, for example, you have to get more creative to get people to share things and get them to go viral that way because they have to be shared in other platforms. But on the other hand, it's an advantage because when you're starting out, you don't need to have anything and YouTube will test your videos for certain search results, test showing it to certain people who have similar interests. And if you make a quality video, then it can hit and get likes and snowball and then you start getting subscribers. Whereas on Twitter, when you're starting, you're kind of shouting into the void. And like I said, at the time I had, you know, five or 10 Twitter followers. Um, and actually, you know, after, after I started the channel, I uh, pretty quickly gained like 20 subscribers from that first video. And then I made a few uh -huh. more videos and eventually you know, gained many more. I had more YouTube subscribers than Twitter followers from around, you know, May 2021 up until probably fall of this pa of 2022. Uh, mm -hmm. and then, uh, and then Twitter finally surpassed YouTube, uh, but that's getting into a different topic. We can talk about why, you know, why YouTube I think has been, has seen traffic drop more for crypto than Twitter. And that's just because it's more of a casual audience. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, so, so, so I, that was a big part of the reason why I started on YouTube. Cause you have the educational, you have the ability to make educational videos that people will, will reference back to, uh, another one, just personal interest. I wanted to practice speaking. I wanted to practice public speaking and I figured if I make it, if I have to make a few videos a week, then I'll, uh, I better get better at speaking. Right. And at the time I didn't really expect my channel to get that many views. Right. I figured it would be a fun little hobby I would do. Um, yeah. And I think those are the main reasons why I started on YouTube since, since now I have more than twice as many Twitter followers, just because I've focused on growing that over the past year, I would say, but, um, but yeah, I started on YouTube. Um, for, if you're trying to kind of make a living from content, specifically in crypto, would you rather have, you know, a hundred thousand Twitter followers or 50,000 Twitter followers or 50,000, a hundred thousand YouTube subscribers? Oh, YouTube is not even close. Yeah. Not even close to YouTube. Um, I mean, I'll put it this way. Uh, how many people do you follow on Twitter? I, I don't know. I guess I could check this. How many people do you follow on Twitter? Like a, a thousand ish. Like a thousand. Yeah. How many YouTube channels do you subscribe to? Oh uh, yeah, like twenty or something. Like twenty, exactly. So, so it's actually much more impact, and that's most people if they use both. So it's much more impactful if someone um, follows you on YouTube versus Twitter. Uh, and not only that, if you follow someone on Twitter, you might read one of their tweets for you know, ten seconds. And you know, there's certain people. Certainly, are people you follow on Twitter. You know, there's definitely people who follow you, for example, who read all your tweets and they put a lot of stock in it. Uh, but YouTube, if someone is, is subscribed to you on YouTube and they watch even one of your videos once in a while, um, that's potentially two to 10 minutes of dedicated engagement that they have with you. And not only that, but they're listening to your voice. If you're talking, they're seeing right. you on screen. Um, they're seeing any visuals you made. Uh, and, and that's putting aside the fact that YouTube actually gives you a share of ad revenue. Although I guess Twitter is potentially going to start doing that. Um, but yeah, I would I would definitely want the the uh, YouTube subscribers. Um, I guess the right. one thing Twitter has is it's kind of also like a networking tool like LinkedIn, right? Where so when I'm connecting with 
found, I'm sure it's the same for you. You know, when you're connecting with founders of crypto projects, they're connecting with you via Twitter because they saw one of your tweets, right? They're not watching YouTube videos on, on how to set up a MetaMask wallet. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's no, the one the thing that Twitter are... has. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would still take the YouTube. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that, this kind of idea of people knowing you a bet, better through video is totally true. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to uh, explore video content is because I felt like people didn't really understand who I was or what was uh, what I was about. And I think, yeah, video content, you know, and obviously YouTube is the main platform where that's consumed um, is, is really powerful in that respect. And you kind of own your relationship with your audience a bit more. There's more mm -hmm. connection. So that's a cool aspect. I will say though, perhaps specifically in crypto. Yeah. All of the kind of professional activity is happening, happening on Twitter. If someone follows you, you know, you can get a DM back, you know, within an hour mm -hmm. usually from and it can be someone you know like a DeFi and a non-DeFi will that has a billion dollars in their you know d-bank or something in their you know in their portfolio um so that that's really powerful there's some DeFi founder you can get a you know a call or an intro or something so that's a cool aspect of crypto twitter i'm not sure if it exists so much in other industries but yeah crypto it does seem like the kind of sm crypto twitter is the smart money hub if that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah yeah i totally agree um but uh, yeah, like, like I said, I, I would view YouTube as sort of a content management system. Like my, right. you know, my Twitter, I almost view as like my personal Twitter, where I post about mostly crypto stuff, but I also post about personal things. Whereas the YouTube, mm -hmm. it's more, I'm not giving updates on my life, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose there's a whole other niche of content of people doing that, or people who are to talk about crypto, but they're also talking about personal finance stuff personally. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, what, how, what, how do you, how do you, you know, you have a decently ch sized channel on, on, on YouTube. I forget exactly many, how many subscribers it is, but it's meaningful. Um, what's the, what advice would you give to people trying to create content on YouTube specifically, specifically in the crypto space? Yeah. So, uh, so I've got about 21 K on YouTube. So, you know, decent mi mid size. um, right not, not as big as some people but i think people who are starting a channel a lot of them would be pretty happy to get over right. 20k to um, me it's like over the hump you know where it's like yeah. if you continue to put the work and you continue to put out the content you will you know continue to grow the channel where if you have mm -hmm. kind of seven subscribers or 101 subscribers or something uh it's not a it's not a sure thing necessarily mm -hmm. absolutely yeah it can easily die if you have fewer so my recommendation would be, uh, first off, you know, especially if someone's coming from say using Twitter, uh, or even Instagram in a way, uh, understand that it's more of a content management system. So you have to pay attention to, uh, keywords. You have to pay attention to search engine optimization. You have to pay attention to the click through rate on your thumbnails. I mean, it's, it's all comes down to math really. So you have, uh, how many people is your video going to get shown to? And that's depending on the topic and whether they've engaged with your stuff in the past, then what percentage of those people will click on the thumbnail? And then uh, how much of the video will those people watch and will they subscribe? Right. And mm -hmm. it's basically comes down to optimizing for all those stats. And it's something that I'm still working on improving uh, myself, although I've, I've come a long way. You know, when I first made videos, it was, 
I, I'm almost tempted to delete them now because they were so low quality. But, uh, but, uh, but I, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, don't really want to. But um, th- so it's something I've come a long way myself. But it really comes down to optimizing for those stats. And then the second thing, if you're starting a channel, is say you you decided you wanted to be crypto. Okay. Well, what format are the videos going to take, and what topic uh, are you going to choose? So maybe you're interested in how to yield farm in DeFi. Not the most popular thing right now. Uh, it was when I started my channel, not the most popular thing right now, but maybe you're interested in that. Uh, maybe you're also interested in the intersection of AI and crypto. Maybe you're also interested in doing stories about people who made a lot of money or, or even stories about hacks, right? You know, one of like a storytelling thing related to crypto. Mm-hmm. So you say, okay, those are your three ideas. Um, what I would do is I would make one or two videos about each of them uh, a week for a few weeks and see which one takes off. And then I'd go all in on that one. On the and then specific if you hit on something that really takes off, go all in. And that was something that I, I uh, regret about 2021 was I had certain videos that did really well. And for example, I did a video on time wonderland that did really well. I think it got like, you know, 20,000 views in one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, you know, yes, the project didn't work out, but I, in retrospect, knowing what I know now, it's like, okay, that week I should have made four more videos about Time Wonderland and just wrecked mm. the subscribers. Because when you find something that hits, hammer at it, uh, even if it feels like you're making redundant videos. Because remember, even if it's redundant to you, it's not necessarily redundant to the people watching. Right. Yeah, it's a good point. And actually, you know, Edgy, I'm maybe, I, were we on a panel with him together? Uh, we were, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a really good guy. I talked to him. I haven't talked to him recently, but I talked to him a lot about content because he's just on like another level in the crypto game. But that's how he came up was the Time Wonderland stuff. And he even kind of outlined his playbook at one point where he says, yeah, start with, you know, this very specific niche and then kind of expand outwards, you know, and this whole playbook mm-hmm. around that. And it's a good idea. How do you think about content and growth right now because as you mentioned there's just not new retail entrants right now uh, or there Mm -hmm. are very very few Um, you know if I had to guess there's probably like net outflow uh, currently so what well I guess I have two questions here the first one is what are you doing about that right now how do you continue to grow a business and and attempt to grow an audience or at least keep an audience um maintain your audience despite lack of retail interest especially on youtube and then the other question would be how you know as a kind of late entrant to the content game you know mid 2021 that was only you know now you've both of us really because i kind of started my newsletter at the same time uh have have spent more time in the crypto industry in the bear market than in the bull market so the second question would be what would you have done retroactively to kind of mitigate the the market risks of being a content creator in crypto? That is a few really good, really good questions. Um, first thing is to grow. That's part of why I've been focused a little more on Twitter. So I'm up. I just passed uh, 50k over there, uh, and then also on on Substack where I'm at around uh, 6k. And I focused on those because I feel like there's more hardcore users using those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. So, so I'm, um, 
so so I've had more success, for example, going in deeper into on-chain type things there rather than doing that on YouTube. On YouTube right now, I'm basically viewing it as uh, improving my skills in producing a bank of videos that will be useful if and when interest returns. And if I can gain some mm -hmm. subscribers in the meantime, great. Um, I do know some people, a couple people who have managed to really grow channels in the p past six months. Um, there's one, for example, uh, his name is Virtual Bacon. I mean, that's not his real name, but that's the name of his, that's the name he goes by. Um, but but uh, he, he grew from, you know, 10 to 20K at the end of last year to well over 100,000 now. Uh, and he was able to do that, as far as I can tell, by making high quality videos on trending crypto topics very, very quickly. Um, yeah, so that's that's one way to do it. But um, for me, I'm just mo mostly focused on producing a bank of useful videos that I think will be useful in the future uh, while growing Twitter and newsletter with content on more in-depth topics. As far as what I would do differently, I mean, I think the biggest mistake I made besides the not going harder during the peak of the bull to grow my audience, right? Because if, mm -hmm. you know, if I had put in a little more effort to making high quality videos and making more of them and choosing the topics more carefully, then I think it would have been pretty reasonable for me to get 50 to 100,000 then. And that puts you in a different league as far as sponsors right. in terms of monetization and all that. Um, but... Uh, the other thing I would do differently is I would have monetized sooner because at the time, I mean, I only started trying to monetize really the past like few months. Um, and so before that, I was just making uh, content for free. And the problem is, you know, I, I know people who had similar sizes to me who monetized by, say, setting up a monthly subscription service in early 2022, late 2021. And you know, it was pretty easy for them, uh, with all due respect to them, it was pretty easy for them to set up the subscription service and get a sustainable uh, income from that just because there was so much interest. Fast forward a year and a half, it's it's a little bit trickier. I mean, even last year, it was pretty tricky to, to set up something similar. So I would have monetized sooner, either through affiliates or, or some sort of subscription uh, because, right. yeah, like I said, I only started trying to monetize really the past the past year but but really in terms of sponsorships or those sorts of things the past i did my first sponsorship maybe three months ago um so waited until pretty late in the game and it's just a lot more difficult now before that i was living off money that i actually made trading in 2021 mm -hmm. yeah i i think as a content creator uh, it's it's almost you know at least me personally i'm almost in a lucky position because revenue around creating content whether that's subscription affiliate partnerships that's actually stickier than like revenue you know from the market if that makes sense like my business did not decrease 95 percent like every altcoin did you know it decreased you know really like you know 20 percent or something really a, a relatively low amount for what the industry was doing which it gives you a lot of freedom uh, personally, though, kind of in the bear, I guess I look about I look at my current situation in the market as like I want to grow my. I know the pie isn't growing right now, and I'm curious to see what you how you feel about this. Um, but I know I can grow my slice of the pie as people drop off drop off in producing content or as um, 
you know, people, you know, just just produce low lower quality stuff, less stuff. I can continue to grow my mind share, you know, via podcast. People, I can become more recognizable among the entrants in this space. And then when things get better, then my my share will probably increase proportionately. So, yeah, I think that's absolutely uh, that's absolutely how I'm looking at it. And the other way I look at it is a follower gain during the bear market is more valuable than a follower in the bull market. Um, mm. I can only speak for myself, but for example, you know, huge numbers of people that subscribe to my channel during bull market don't consume it anymore. I know that just because the videos get, you know, pre uh, what I would consider relatively low views now, right? You know, one to 2000. Um, whereas uh, on Twitter, where I've gained most of my audience since uh, the bear market started, I think, when Terra crashed, I had maybe four or 5,000 on there. Um, I, uh, you know, the, the, the engagement hasn't, has mean, has only grown, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, honestly, I do think brands are kind of aware of that as well. So for me, partnership sponsorships have gone, I mean, it, it would be better if everything was great, but partnerships and sponsorships have continued to be, um, you know, if not stable, like relatively meaningful compared to the growth, just because I think people and brands are, well, they're kind of maybe more willing to fight over the kind of remaining power users, existing users. So that's cool. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. What about kind of revenue models? How do you think about that? You know, obviously some YouTubers are just like, you know, partner program, making money through partner advertising. Others are running sponsorships. People are creating shit coins now. Like, like how do you think about this? And, and, and how do you want to maintain your brand going forward? Yeah, so that's actually a tough question and something that I've struggled with a lot is what the best, most honest way to monetize is because you know, a lot of people, for example, they just uh, take whatever sponsorships are thrown at them. And the problem is that a lot of times that comes with shilling some sort of coin that is inevitably going to crash and then people get wrecked. Uh, and to me, one, I, I don't really view that as totally ethical. Even if people, everyone buys things themselves, they make their own decisions. But if they're trusting me and I've spent years, you know, not doing that and then I suddenly start doing that and they continue to trust me. I just don't think it's ethical, not to mention uh, the legal implications of that. So uh, I don't do that personally. Um, recently, when I started doing a couple sponsorships, my arrangement is always I can talk about the application if I think it's a useful application, but I won't talk about the anything to do with the token price uh, or the token itself. Uh, so that's that's one thing I'm working on. Um, I've seen a lot of people have subscriptions successfully um you know subscription newsletters as you know or or subscriptions to various sorts of groups those sorts of things um, I, I haven't done any of that personally um, another thing that i think is really interesting that some people can do if they're getting into content creation this is more crypto specific is you can actually become an advisor to different protocols where you're helping them uh, not just by sharing stuff about them but you're actually providing them introductions, helping them with business development, helping them with marketing, and then they'll either give you a share of their tokens or they'll, or sometimes they'll even pay you up front. So I've, I've done that with a couple protocols and I thought that was really, really um, 
fun. It actually, actually made me a much better investor because I got to see how things worked behind the scenes and certain and uh, understand certain challenges that teams face and why they um, why they saw them the way they do. Because I had never worked in tech or a startup before before right. uh, this. And uh, you know, I think those are all interesting. I mean, you have the native YouTube ads. Truthfully, unless you're getting a lot of views. Uh, those don't move the needle in the same way that uh, some of these other topics do. I mean, they can be a nice supplement, right? I mean, when I was, when I had another uh, full-time job and I had the YouTube channel that was monetized, I was getting, you know, it was a nice supplement. I think it was like a couple hundred dollars a month, but it wasn't uh, anything that you could live off of as a, as a standalone income. And that was peak bull market, right? Um, and then, you know, the, I mean, it's anything you see people do online, I think for some reason, a lot of these things people don't do in crypto. But for example, anything you see any sort of content creator do online is something that could conceivably be applied. So that would include things like, for example, selling ebooks, uh, selling courses and, and all those sorts of things. Right. Yeah, what, um, as far as kind of those advisory positions you're talking about, what, uh, what were some of the takeaways on like, the investing side, what did you see that you liked? And what are, are there any red flags you were seeing where you say, Oh, now if I see this in a project, I'm, I'm going to be a little hesitant to invest. Yeah, I think, yeah. So I, I wrote a like newsletter post about this recently, just to flesh out three of the most important ones. And, uh, those were first, I put a lot more emphasis on the team now because mm -hmm. We're working with this one project, uh, they, they have what I consider to be a very strong team, right? All, all the founders had had successful exits at previous startups, some in crypto, some not in crypto. Um, and the thing is just with the market changing and conditions changing, they had to adjust, pivot their roadmap, confront new challenges multiple times. And what it made me realize is that a project can have the best roadmap in the world, but if they don't have the people to execute, it doesn't matter. And they could have a roadmap that they could not even have a roadmap, but if they have a team that knows how to execute and build and adapt to the market and make interesting products, then, then they'll find a way to make it work. So that's one thing I put a lot more emphasis on the team. Now, uh, second thing would be, I understand a lot more when projects pivot. Now I had always considered that to be a red flag in the past, but, but, uh, seeing the inner workings of a project that, for example, had had to pivot after some of the things after FTX and just everything that happened last year and the lack of retail interest, it made me understand, okay, so there's sometimes if they're repurposing the same people and technology they've already built for something that's slightly different, that can actually be the right move a lot of times. And I mean, you see that in the traditional tech world all the time, right? I think I read recently Instagram was, it was like a food sharing app or a food review app originally that was eventually repurposed for photos. Cause that was the only feature of it that people liked was the ability to post photos. Um, so something like that. So, so, so I no longer view pivots the same way as I did before. Uh, the flip side, the other, one other thing I learned is that one of the projects I was advising was really building something that was intended to be for say your average retail user not that many of them right now, right? Because they right. got wrecked by Celsius. They got wrecked by BlockFi. They got wrecked by Terra Luna. They got wrecked by FTX. 
So sometimes you have to not just build for your future customers, but your current customers. So as part of their pivot, they are keeping their product that they're building for um, mass retail, but they're also building things that would be higher yield and appeal to the current crop that we might call DGENs that are that are still in crypto even during the bear market. Yeah. Yeah, interesting points there. Um, I think crypto building is is so unique because well, if you launch a token, well, first of all, any the life cycle is a lot quicker, right? So most people are launching a token within a couple of years, like probably 80% within two years have launched a token of projects. And that leads to a whole new set of dynamics because crypto you know, equity holders, token holders are so much, are so demanding. Once your money is in, is part of something, once you own a chunk of something, you're a lot more demanding. And, and despite typical life cycles of, you know, traditional companies being 10 years plus to an IPO, this liquidity cycle of two years means people want, you know, like the perfect immutable protocol within months, essentially. And that's not how stuff works. That's it takes years just to get to product market fit for a lot of companies. Uh, yeah, there are issues with team. There's issues with market. There's issue with macro. Right? You could have a product that that was absolutely flying during the bull market, and now that it has twelve users. In fact, there are many examples of this. So, the the dynamic of being a builder in such a chaotic space. And then adding on top of it, the fact that you have equity holders that you're kind of beholden to, that you have token holders that, that you know, are demanding things of you means like building in this space is this whole, you know, other challenge. Yeah, it's, it's a nightmare, right? I mean, I, I always say that if I were starting a protocol, I would wait as long as possible to launch a token because then you suddenly have a thousand voices who often know nothing about business and maybe don't even have a good understanding of the actual protocols vision and business model suddenly scrutinizing every decision you make and breathing down your neck and and giving you a tough time and demanding also that you give them value now right i mean you have this weird thing in crypto where people want tokens to pay out dividends when they have a protocol that's got a market cap of like nine hundred thousand dollars uh when you know can you imagine amazon right you know amazon doesn't do dividends right and, and that's because the equity holders decided for decades that they'd rather jeff bezos be responsible for reinvesting the money to grow amazon into being a company that's worth I don't know, are they worth a trillion dollars now uh if not close to it right you know yeah. gr growing into the largest e-commerce logistics company in the world um and that would never would have happened if they, instead of reinvesting money, they had just paid it out to a bunch of, you know, 17 year old, uh, internet token investors, they, they never would have been able to grow the way that they did. And so, so I, I think that that's honestly a, a real challenge. And then you also have, so you have that where value is being basically extracted from the system to, instead of reinvested to go to token holders. And you also have the problem where you have all these really smart builders, developers, you know, any field who start projects, bull market happens, they cash out with what, 10, $20 million. What's their incentive, right? Normally you have to either get acquired by a larger company or you have to IPO to cash out. Uh, 
but now it's like okay you cash out because you have because your tokens vested uh and you sold them on unsuspecting retail investors not good for the image of the industry because those people who got wrecked are probably going to be skeptical but also not good for the industry because now you have the smart people who have cashed out and left right plus a dollar has to come from somewhere right so if a founder gets away with $20 million, it's $20 million from VCs, institutions, levered up degens. It's something. It's coming from somewhere. So, uh, you know, there's always a counterparty there. It's funny. I One of the first newsletter articles I wrote was like, crypto is positive sum, um, where, you know, crypto holders and builders and developers are all participating in this ecosystem that creates value you know an example of this would be i come in as an investor i invest a thousand dollars into your you know your small cap in the ico or whatever so the launchpad sale then the developer you know gets paid that to create a product that is then used by a thousand people each for two dollars and then it's kind of value creative and all of those users are getting you know their 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 money out of, or their money's worth out of the the product and i said yeah this is a positive value ecosystem and um i remember someone pretty prominent in the space was like i don't know if it's i i like the article but i don't know if this is a positive sum space and i was like come on get out of here of course it's positive sum now i'm not so sure now i know like yeah a, a penny a dollar, a dollar earned is a dollar taken from somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think part pre, of it is that how fit. much of the, how much of the money that's spent on crypto applications is ultimately because of speculation. I mean, you think about it's swapping all coins, of it, dude. <laughs> almost all of it. Almost all. I mean, there's maybe a couple exceptions. Almost all of it's speculation. Right. So, I think that's problem, and that's also why a lot of it is not necessarily positive sum i mean there are some interesting applications people have built that you know allow interfaces with with um dollars in the real world to stable coins or you know allow people to transact money but that's not most of what people who are you know into crypto are looking at and talking about um you know the internet is i would say probably often positive it's like an online economy the online economy right, right. is probably in many ways positive sum but yeah, a lot of crypto, it's really, um, if you're just talking about investing, it's really tough to make that case. I, I do think it's interesting how you have, you have this aspect of communities in crypto where, which doesn't really exist in most businesses, right? You know, most startups, uh, maybe they have, you know, their platitudes and their marketing, but you know, they don't like, 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 for example, you don't have, you know, uh, what's a good app? Canva. Great app. If you're you doing anything design related, right? It makes it super easy to make YouTube thumbnails, any sort of graphics. I use Canva all the time. It's not like owning a crypto token where I'm like in their discord and, you know, shilling it under people's statuses where I'm like, like, why did you mention Photoshop? You should be using Canva. Uh, like there's, there's no concept of that for, for, for other applications. You just use it because it's a useful product. Right. And you try to continue if you share it with someone, it's because it's like useful that you think can help them. Whereas in crypto, a lot of it comes down to people trying to pump their own bags. Yeah, no one's out here shilling like, uh, yeah, some perp decks or something like some like 
Arbitrum, Nitro, Doge, or whatever, because they're like, oh, you're going to get a lot of value out of this. This is a great product. No. This is like, I want you as my exit liquidity. That's funny. Um, yeah. So how do you, well, do you ever, do you like your position as a content creator right now, or do does the building side of things ever appeal to you? Yeah, it does. It does interest me. Um, uh, right now, I'm just trying to work with what I have and, and shore up that. And then maybe I would I would look at that in the future. Um, I guess we, we never we, you know, do the abridged uh, biography, but the way I ended up full time in the space was um, a stroke of luck that was both good and bad. Uh, in 2022, I had an offer at a fund. And then the day after I left my old job, UST DPEG went to zero. And so the job offer fell through, uh, applied for a bunch of jobs last summer, uh, in crypto, didn't get any of them. And, I, and I've said this all publicly before, didn't get any of them. So I was like, all right, well, what do I have? I've got 15,000 YouTube subs. I've got, uh, 5,000 Twitter followers and I've got a whole lot of free time. So, um, just worked with, worked with what I had and, and um, and was able to grow it from there. You know, I, I do go back and forth on whether, okay, maybe I should have spent all that time learning solidity. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, having a platform like I do, I think it would be easier for me to start building from this position than, than, than uh, previously. But right now my focus is just on uh, at least getting what I have now into a, a sustainable business. Yeah, I also will say like, there's a couple examples of people a lot of examples really of non-technical people going and and building and for some reason technical talent often uh you know needs someone who can raise money or someone who can have a really strong vision around product in fact like something i'm working on right now is uh, a small like SaaS product information product um to allow people to kind of track what's happening uh, in the kind of main purposes around deal flow, but there's also applications for trading. And um, yeah, I, I found a co-founder and I kind of sold him on the idea of I had a really strong vision around what the product should be. And then I have a network, right? So I just kind of teased it last week and now we already have, you know, 300 people interested in, in beta testing. So nice. I think an audience can be incredibly valuable um, and I don't think you have to be technical to co-found, even like raising money right now. It might be tricky to raise money, but once, you know, if you have a strong audience and you have kind of people that are, that are following what you're doing, I think people are, would, are so eager to, to invest in you and you have such a strong kind of proof of, of having developed and created something that people, that makes people eager to, to want to bet on you. So I think uh, an audience can be valuable, you know, in and of itself. But then also, if you're if you're looking to kind of move on to some higher leverage activity, not around content creation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I tend to agree with that. Right. Cool. Um, yeah. So. I guess this is a this is a big conversation shift, but you're a you're an IRL farmer too. Is that true? Uh, kind of. I say I say occasional IRL farmer. Um, okay. <laughs> my uh, my dad's the farmer, but I help him out on the weekends a lot of the time. All right. Uh, 
Yeah, my um, my parents live on a little little farmette. They're not doing anything at like an industrial level, but they got their pigs. Yeah, and no, chickens we're not there. doing industrial farming either. It's like a it's like a seven acre farm that, uh -huh. that's just uh, you know cool. growing growing berries. Mm, nice. Do you see any parallels uh, with that and crypto? Hmm. Well, there's parallels between everything in the world, right? Um, you know, I'm a big fan of getting, gaining multidisciplinary skills, but as far as specifically, well, delayed gratification is very important in both farming and mm -hmm. crypto, because for example, you might plant certain, we're, we're trying to get an orchard started. And, uh, for those trees, even if you get them where you're not planting them from a seed, you're getting one that someone, you know, grew for a year or two. Uh, it might still be a few years before it's producing fruit. So you have to really delay gratification. And that's kind of how I view crypto right now as well. You have to delay gratification, both in terms of investing, because uh, that's what that's a given, right? People who don't delay gratification typically get destroyed. Uh, but even in terms of building, and I would include building any sort of audience or content in that because, you know, I'm putting out stuff now for free, for example, assuming that at some point in the future, I'll find a way to to uh, monetize it or you know i'm building a newsletter knowing at some point maybe i'll turn that into something else uh but the but right now it's just the delay gratification and the the work and the daily grind so that way maybe years down the road i can harvest yeah i think there's something to be said about the cyclicality of things too because i haven't been on my on my parents's farm for a few months but I get the pictures, you know, now it's summer, you know, everything's blooming, it's gorgeous. Yeah. They're beginning to like, you know, harvest the fruits of their labor, right? Um, and in the, it would be so silly. Right now, we're all kind of like, God, why are we poor? Why is he below $2,000? You know, why are all my altcoins dying? And you, it's easy to become frustrated with that. But at the same time, is a farmer frustrated, you know, on January 15th because like the corn isn't, isn't, you know, in season? No, it's just part of the cyclicality. It's just part of the, the, like how things go. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's scarce. Sometimes it's abundant. You have to figure out how to use the abundance during the times of scarcity to kind of create a little more stability, but yeah there's to be like frustrated at the conditions i think is silly and i perhaps i've kind of gained a little more zen zenness in that mindset where it's like i can't fight against the stream i shouldn't expect to be for everything to be feast all the time like there there must mm. be periods of down and there must be periods of up and both are kind of dependent on the other so true, I, true I season know. for everything right although yeah, farmers exactly. in my experience are known for complaining Right. <laughs> uh, that's true. That's yeah, true. I, I don't want people watching this to be like, oh, they're, you know, every farmer is Zen, or these guys think every farmer Far is Zen. Farmers are complaining all like the quality, time. If you, go, if you go to Tractor <laughs> Supply, you, you might hear some complaining. Uh, that's funny. Cool. Um, well, uh, well, we'll wrap it up with that uh, philosophy, farming philosophy lesson. Um, anything, any closing thoughts you've got? Uh, no, no, no closing thoughts. Um, it's been a, well, I guess these are my closing thoughts, but it's uh, my closing thoughts are that it's been a pleasure to be here uh, to be able to chat with you about these things. Uh, different change of pace from the sorts of questions people usually ask me in podcasts. 
uh, I have a lot of confidence that the world is moving towards everything that can be tokenized, being tokenized. And so I'm just trying to set myself up to benefit from that wave. There's other technologies that other people out there might want to set themselves up for. But if there's one thing I learned from the 2021 bull market and then seeing the difference now is that if you are riding a trend that is gaining parabolic adoption and I'm betting on crypto gaining that parabolic adoption in the next few years, then you're basically playing whatever you're doing on easy mode. So that Excellent. can apply to anything. Well, Patrick Dynamo DeFi, where can they find you? Oh, uh, they can find my YouTube channel Dynamo DeFi or on Twitter at Dynamo underscore Patrick. Gorgeous. And a Substack as well, right? Yeah, yeah, also Substack, um, which you can cool. just dynamodefi.substack.com. Excellent. Awesome. Thanks so much, Patrick. I uh, appreciate your time. Thank you, Jack.